0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: one
2: You know, there's one disadvantage of having mama on the piano. She's going to tell you when you mess up. (laughs) I left a chorus off that last hymn. (laughs) Sorry, Miss Loretta. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, we are flawed people. Amen. And this is not a shrine for saints, this is a hospital for poor old sinners.
3: That's right.
2: And I, I tell you what, this morning's service was phenomenal. I want to thank our pastor for a wonderful job.
3: Yes.
2: Um, and and my worries became less after your sermon. Um, uh, and and I just want to thank him for preaching the truth,
3: yes.
2: and for uh, pe- preaching the gospel, and um, telling it like it is. You know, even if he does spaz out over long walks in the road with his children. <laughs> <clears throat> That's right. As we all stand, <laughs> there are cars. He can't stop cars. He, he can stop a Frito, but he can't stop cars. We did learn that this morning as we continue to worship. Shout to the.
1: long at the this... same of Feel good air. Them in pity from sin and the grave. We bore the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. when them tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died rescue the perishing care for the dying Jesus is merciful Jesus will save rescue the perishing care for the is merciful.
4: With wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name, Jesus, your name is.
0: You for my special music. I didn't bring my words, though. (laughs) Well, I love you too, sweetie. Thank you, Katie. There was uh, a moment in that one note where I thought we were going to have to poke her make sure she was still breathing. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Thank you, as always, Miss Linda Brother Jason, and thank you for trying to keep him straight. Well, the thing is, I don't have the music in front of me, so he can skip a chorus, and I'd never know it. I just figure he meant to. So I spent a long time playing music with a young man we were on the same stage. We were both playing the guitar, but he did all the singing. And so we would practice all this music before. And then uh, and, and we'd go to play, and inevitably, he'd get the Holy Ghost. And I used to call it, he'd forget a page. And he'd sing something different than I was playing. He'd mess it up, look over at me and smile. And after church, he'd say, everybody thought you messed up. And I was like, yeah. Anyway, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, the final two verses. Uh, in this wonderful epistle. And the title of this evening's message, To Save a Life. To Save a Life. Now we come to the end of this letter, and we've been in James for a few months now together. And even though we are closing out this series, my prayer and my hope that it will not close out your study of this letter. The the richness and the challenges uh, start to finish in this book are, are unparalleled in, in, in anything that we really have in terms of the challenge to the believer. And, and we come to the closing verses, and I feel that James's conclusion to this letter is a fitting way for us to end this series uh, because it, it really expresses perfectly the tone and the tenor of the whole letter that James has written. And really, the whole letter was intended to do what? To call us to question ourselves in light of our profession of faith. Ask ourselves, how are we living our lives? What are we doing? Since we say we're Christians, since we say we're believers, are we living our lives in that way? And the idea that James has called us to throughout this whole letter has been this. If we find ourselves against any of the tests that James has given us, if we find ourselves short from the way we were supposed to be living, then would we move ourselves to ask why? And after we ask why, would we move to a place of repentance? In other words... Even though James is addressing his letter to the brethren, he's addressing his letter to those who claim to be believers, it is still an evangelistic measure at its core. He is calling us to look at our faith and ask, is my faith a dead faith that produces nothing? Or is my faith a living and producing faith? Am I, am I a professor or a possessor, in other words? Do I talk about my salvation or do I have salvation? Do I talk about Jesus because I know who he is or do I have a relationship with Jesus? And it's no new idea that James is, is presenting to us to look at our own salvation. If you'll remember, I said that James quite often in this letter spends time giving us a commentary to the Sermon on the Mount. And as he begins to give us this commentary of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew 7, which if those of you who are Bible scholars will know Matthew 5 through 8 to be the Sermon on the Mount. And so here in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, but I will profess to them, Depart from me, I never... Knew you, And so the idea that James is presenting to us is, is, is first introduced by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount where he said, There will be those who name my name. There will be those who preach my message. There will be those who, who do things and even do good things in my name that do not truly know me. And as James writes with that same sentiment, he says that there are many instances where the wheat and the tares will be in the same field. There are many instances where the genuine and the false will be sown together. They'll, they'll, they'll profess the same, but they'll produce differently. There'll be hearers, but there won't be doers. And James takes us on a series of tests. You'll, you'll remember some of them. He says in chapter 1, how do you respond to trials? How do you respond to temptations? And how do you respond to the Word of God? When the standard of holiness is presented to you that is the Word of God, are you, and when the standard of holiness is presented to you, can I just say you will be found short. That's just what it is. When you look to the standard of holiness that is the Word of God, and you are found short, do you respond brash? Or do you respond humbly and repentant? James called us to question ourselves in that. And I would say we would do well to question ourselves. When you, when you come to hear a message from the Lord, when you come to a church house and you come and, and a preacher presents a message and he presents a message, now I'm not talking about when he says something that's heretical or off from the Word of God, but when the preacher opens up the Bible and preaches the Word of God accurately and correctly and he presents it to you and it challenges you because it's different than what you thought... Or it steps on your toes? Or it calls you to be different? Do you respond humbly in repentance? Or do you respond brashly and arrogantly? And James says, the way we respond when we hear the word of God is a show of our faith. James gave us a test. How do we? respond to the different kind of people that we interact with? Do we respond differently to the rich or to the poor, to those that we feel we can get something out of, or someone that might elevate us? Do we respond differently to them? What are our deeds, James said? Remember, faith without works is dead, James said. He said, you don't work to get your faith, but you work because you got your faith. Don't work to get Jesus, but you work because you got Jesus. What kind of words come out of your mouth, James said? When you open your mouth, what comes out of it? And what wisdom do you possess that characterizes your life? How do you respond to the world? Do you love the world? Are you a friend of the world or are you a friend of God, James asked? Are you a proud person or a humble person? What is your attitude towards the will of God? How do you feel about your riches? And do you make vows and promises that you don't keep? All of these tests James has presented to us in this letter in some capacity. And ask us, do we respond with godliness or do we respond in pride? And if you find yourself or have found yourself falling short on these tests and honestly... If we measure ourselves correctly, we will find ourselves short in some of these. But he says, you're to examine your faith. And the hope is that if we find ourselves continually falling short, continually missing these marks, that we'll call ourselves to examine and recognize whether our faith is empty or whether it is a genuine, saving faith. So please stand. As we read the final two verses of this great epistle from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude. Of sin. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your spirit's presence in our services today. God, we recognize that your presence is a gift and we thank you for dwelling among us. God, we ask that you would be with the reading and the teaching of your word tonight. That you would call us to where you would want us to be. And that if anything is here in this house that would distract us or prevent us from worshiping you through the teaching of your word, God, you take those thoughts and those spirits away at this moment. And God, we call on the powerful name of Jesus that you would call us to holiness and that you would sanctify us and that we would draw nigh to you. And it is in your precious, saving, heavenly name that we pray, as all of God's children said. Amen. James opens up verse 19, and he says, My brethren, and he's kind of showing that he's referring to those again that call themselves brothers in Christ, really who he's been addressing this whole time. But he's kind of starting a new thought here from what he was talking about previously. Now, if you'll remember last week, we talked about how we have the needs and we have the suffering and we call upon the elders and we, and we sing the psalms and all of those things. And he kind of comes to this and he's really kind of breaking with a whole new thought. He kind of finishes that and he says, Now, my brethren, and it's almost to me like James gets to this point and he says, Wait a minute. That's all I got to say about that. And I'm about done. I think God is through speaking through me in this letter. I'm about to to close it off, and I'm going to send it out. And he kind of of closes it up, and he says, What would be my closing thought? Those of you who have been in an English class or have written a paper before and had the teacher stand before you, I used to always, I, I had a great... English teacher at one point in my life that she would say when challenged by writing a paper, she would say, well, really what you need to do is you need to become great at writing an introduction and you need to become great at writing a conclusion. And then you can write whatever you want in the middle and it'll still be a good paper. And so I learned how to write two really good paragraphs and a bunch of junk in the middle. Now, try not to let the sermons be that way very often. Some of you may argue with me a little bit, but... James is kind of getting to the end. He's looking for a great conclusion, I think. He's saying, how can I sum up what my thoughts have been, what my thoughts were as I penned this letter? What did I feel the Holy Spirit was impressing upon me? And I think James really nails it down when he says, if anybody wonders from the truth, has that not been James's theme from the beginning? As he writes this letter and he calls us to these tests, is anybody wondering from the truth? Because if you're not wondering from the truth, we know how you're responding to trials. You're responding in faith. If you're not wondering from the truth, we know how you're responding to the Word of God. You're responding in obedience. So he says, is anybody wondering from the truth? As you've you've looked through this, have you noticed that you're wondering? Or that anyone else is wondering? And so he says, is anybody among you wondering? And he's really talking here about those who give no evidence to the fact that they are genuinely saved. That's who he's talking about, that anyone who is wondering, someone that gives no evidence that they are genuinely saved. So what do you mean, Brother Jason? Well, think with me for just a moment. I am sure you can think of someone in your life who, if you asked them if they know the Lord, they would vehemently and quickly proclaim Christ as their Savior. Oh, yes. Yes, I know the Lord. But if you looked at their life, there would be no evidence to support that claim. There would be no evidence to support that claim. Maybe they came to church for a season But now they don't want anything to do with the fellowship of the believers. Well, Brother Jason, you know the thing is, they were hurt by the church. They were hurt by the church, and that's why they don't come baloney, quite frankly. And I'm sorry if if any of you, I've got people that I am very close to, Very, very close to that come into this category. And it pains me to say what I'm about to say. Maybe they don't come to Rocky Valley because somebody or something at Rocky Valley hurt their feelings or ran them off or done something to them. But, my friend, the reason they don't go to church has nothing to do with the church. It has to do with them. There are, I'm going to say within a 10-mile radius of this very building, I can think of probably 15 churches. That a person could go and worship at. Most of them, good Bible believing, led by a good Bible preaching preacher, singing songs that are God honoring. And so, if somebody at Rocky Valley hurt your feelings and you say, I'm just not going to go back to church, the problem was not the church, the problem is you. You need to go find a church somewhere. Why? Because God says do not forsake the assembling of the believers. We are not meant to go about this all by ourselves. We are not a people that are supposed to live God-honoring lives all on our own on an island. It's just not the way we were designed. It's not the way the Bible suggests. It's not what it says. The Bible suggests in its entirety that we should plug in to a local fellowship of like-minded believers. And so, my friend, you know that person, and you may say, well, they were heard by the church. Well, your counsel should then, might not be, come back to this church, but it should be, you need to go to a church. You need to find a church where you can worship God. Say, well, I just wish they'd come here. I baloney, I don't care if they come here or not. I want them to go somewhere because their soul is at stake. So these wanderers, they could very well be those people. And and I would venture a guess if I asked for a show of hands. I'm not going to. But if I asked for a show of hands, I bet there is one person in everybody in here's life that falls into that category. You know somebody who has wandered off from the fellowship of the believers. And you have to wonder, did they really come to know the Lord? Because if you really come to know the Lord, you're going to want to be around his people. And you're going to want to worship him with his people. There are also those though, who may claim their salvation on a weak theology. These are the people, particularly here here in this Bible belt that we live in. God love us for our well-intentioned miscues. But there are a number of people whose salvation story, when you ask them about their salvation, do you know what they tell me? I was baptized. When I was seven. What about Jesus? I was baptized when I was seven. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been baptized, Brother Jason. So what about Jesus? What did Jesus do for you? Well, I mean, I was baptized. But, but what happened? What happened? See, if you didn't know you were a sinner and you didn't know you needed saving, you didn't know how to cry out to a savior. Now, I'm not saying that, that people don't get saved at 7. That's, that. Please don't take that to be what I was saying. But I'm saying if the whole experience of your salvation is based on the theology of the fact that you got baptized and not on the fact that you were changed by Christ, you got a weak theology there. And you need to question your faith. And as believers, we need to counsel with those who fall into that category. Not because we're sanctimonious, but because we love them. Enough to ask them to question themselves. Well, my daddy was a deacon. My grandmother was a godly woman. Well, I I, this, I that, I this. Somebody in my family. Well, my my, my great-grandfather, he led singing. My uncle was a pastor. I don't care. What about your relationship with Jesus? And so James is calling us to those who are wondering. And he's saying, he's pointing out those who give no evidence... Of the fact that they have a genuine saving faith. But then he contrasts it. He says those who wander from the truth. And then he says and someone turns them back. Who is he talking to there? He's talking to those who do have a genuine faith. He says that there are those that don't have a genuine faith. Now what are you people with genuine faith going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? That's us church. That's us. What are we going to do? Will we care for them enough? To tell them the truth. Or will we silently sit by and try not to offend them? Verse 20 gives us a word that lets us know that he's not talking about a backslidden Christian. He says, let him who turns a what? Sinner. I want to point that word out to you for a reason. Because I want you to know that he's not talking about... Uh, a, a true Christian who has fallen into a place of sin. He is talking about somebody who's never truly been saved. And here's how I know. In Genesis 13, it's the same word that is used to describe the homosexual wanderers in Sodom. The same word is used there for sinners here and for sinners there. It's the same word in Psalms 1 that is called the counsel of the wicked. Same word. And Paul uses the same term when he says in 1 Timothy 1 why Jesus came to this world? Why to save sinners, same word. Everywhere that this word is used throughout the entire context of the Bible, it's used to refer to those who still need saving, those who are outside of the kingdom of God. He said but but now wait a minute, brother Jason. James said they were the brethren. So they're saying they're Christians. That's right. What James is suggesting to us and what the Bible is teaching us is that there are those who make a claim to be Christians who don't have a genuine faith. There are those who are going to say they know the Lord, but they don't really know the Lord. And that's a tough thought for us to embrace Now, you guys know me. In two and a half years, I've known a lot of preachers that that do differently. In two and a half years, I don't think I have ever preached a message where at the end of it, I stood up here and gave one of those impassioned, doubtful pleas trying to talk you out of your salvation. I don't do that. That's not who I am. That's not how I'm wired. If I could talk you out of your salvation, I could talk you into the next one. If I could do any of that, you didn't get saved. Only God can save a soul. But I am going to point to the word of God and say that there are going to be some among us without a genuine saving faith. And while I may not be here to push your doubt, I am here to love you enough to tell you that you need to examine your faith. And you need to examine these tests that James has called us to. And you need to know that you know that your salvation is genuine. Say, how do I know that? Well, are you different than you were before? Are you different than you were before? Do you do you look different, talk different, act different, think different? in light of the salvation that you've experienced? Do you experience the conviction when you fall short? Do you yearn for obedience to the, to the Word of God? Do you seek His face? Those are all evidences of your salvation. And if you can live smack dab in the middle of your sin and feel no conviction, then my friend, I would say you need to question your faith. Because a believer just simply cannot do it. Because once you have seen Jesus... You can't live the way you did before you saw Jesus. It's just not possible. Where Jesus goes, things change. Then James says this about it. He says, the reason we need to be willing to question these type of things, and the reason we need to look not just at our own faith, but once we've looked at our own faith, we need to look out. He's really calling us to look at the others and say, we need to go get that wanderer. We need to be willing to challenge that wanderer. We need to go to that person and look at these things and look at these tests and say, such and such or so and so is wondering. And we say, well, that's tough, Brother Jason. You're telling me to go to someone that I respect or someone that I like or someone that counts me as a friend and you're wanting me to actually ask them about their salvation and when they tell me they're saved but their theology is weak, you want me to tell them that you want to talk more about it? Shouldn't their word be good enough? No. If their theology and their salvation is weak and you know that, then God has revealed a spirit of knowledge to you that you owe them the the sharing of that knowledge. Why? Because God has placed you in their life. God has called you to share the gospel. And my friends, even more than that, according to James 5.20, you can save a soul from death. It is probably that God has placed you there in order to share that gospel with them. And James is using these last two verses to give us the final test of our faith. And it is this. Will you care enough for the dying to share the gospel? That's the final test of faith that James is calling us to. When confronted with the truth that there are those among us who don't have a genuine faith, will you tell them the truth? Or, will you sit silently so as to not offend them? And James, like always, calls us to this question. If you are unwilling, if you are unwilling To share the truth with them, then you need to ask yourself Is my faith genuine, saving faith? Tough, right? Whole letter's been tough. Look at yourself, ask yourself How do you respond to trials? Do you share the gospel? It's easy to share the gospel with people that you're pretty sure aren't saved. It's hard to share the gospel with someone who's pretty sure they might be saved. But according to James 5, if we do that, then the covering of a multitude of sins can occur. You know what that literally means? The grace of Jesus Christ that covers all sins can come into play. Their sins can be covered, and they can be set free. And oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day to be a part of if we will only share our faith. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.